0: You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks, joining me, Nick Lee, Happy Blue Friday to all of our listeners. Looking forward to talking Seahawks to take you into your weekend. We're going to be taking a look at the center position in our post-draft depth chart review and handing out some post-draft superlatives. Make sure to check out Locked On's Peacock and Williamson every Monday through Friday. Brian Peacock and Matt Williamson give you the national perspective all around the NFL, covering all the latest news and insight on every game, team, and move around the NFL. Get your picks, previews, and much more every weekday with the Peacock and Williamson Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks Blue Friday Edition. While it remains to be seen when the Seahawks will actually take the field again, the NFL released a memo with dates for each step of the team's offseason program And what's interesting about this, Nick, is the Seahawks were one of the first teams that came out to announce their players are intending to forego organized voluntary workouts for this upcoming offseason due to the COVID-19 pandemic. As quoted in their statement, as a team, we have decided to make a decision that is uncomfortable but necessary for the protection of everyone's safety. We, the Seahawks, are deciding to exercise our CBA right to not participate in voluntary in-person workouts workouts. There have been a bunch of teams since then. I believe there's more than 20 teams now that have released similar statements where veteran players are saying they are not going to attend voluntary workouts. The big issue is going to be how many of those veterans in the end are actually going to hold serve and decide not to come out and do off-season work because I don't know about you, but this seems like this is something where maybe 20-30% of the league can get away with that and the rest of your veterans and absolutely your incoming rookies, they want to get on the field so they can be seen by coaches.
1: Yeah, this kind of seems like a first world problems thing where, you know, the guys that got the handsome paydays, the superstars, those guys don't need to come in. But yeah, especially the rookies and the guys. And we also are now, this is year two as far as the NFL offseason goes of COVID. And so this will be a second year where. You know, preseason workouts and off-season workouts are are totally uprooted, and you're we're wondering, you know, what kind of effect that's going to take on the the incoming class. I think a lot of what we I think we learned a lot last year, um, early on in in the NFL season. I think that we learned a few things based on having absolutely zero, basically preseason off-season stuff last year. Is the preseason is a bit overrated? Um, You don't need four preseason games. You don't need all these crazy workouts in this extensive calendar and this extensive uh, schedule, with exception, maybe, yes, to the rookies or the guys really trying to get jobs still on the market. Um, but for, for the rest of them, not so much. So, and I'm also wondering how much of this is truly due to the pandemic. Or maybe something that's that's under under the page that's that's uh, you know labor related. I know this is opening a whole nother can of worms we don't have time for, um, but you know I think we learned that hey maybe we don't need all this stuff um, moving forward. Or obviously you need some of it, but not all of it. Or at least this gives the NFL a chance to reevaluate and maybe come up with a new plan once the pandemic is completely behind us. Which it's it's on the run. It's not quite out of our reach or it's not quite in the rearview mirror yet, but it's on the run um once it's totally in our rearview mirror i think that there's going to be some changes permanently because of this
0: era i do expect that we are going to see a more condensed off season coming out of covid and maybe this is the off season where we start to see that take shape but i'm also under the belief that these guys need to be on the field more than what they're letting on especially the young players if i was an incoming rookie i'd be like look nflpa Yeah, some of you veterans that have been in the league for seven or eight years, you don't need these OTA practices, but I do. I need to be on the field, especially your late-round picks and your undrafted guys. I mean, think about how disadvantaged the undrafted players were last year. They didn't have anything. They just jumped right into training camp, and then they had no preseason games to try to show what they can do. So the fact that a few of those guys hung around on the practice squad and ended up contributing is miraculous. Given the circumstances, so I mean, I I still see there. I think there's a lot of value to having a phased offseason program. I just expect it to be more condensed, and they're going to find ways to tutor it to being a little less rigorous than what it has been in the past. You look at the way that it's set up right now, and this is subject to change. So we could have a new agenda here in the next week or two. We don't know how this is going to go. It's fluid because of COVID and the NFLPA and what they're trying to accomplish, but. Phase one of the offseason is April 19th through May 14th. So we're in the middle of that, that strength and conditioning your virtual meetings, physical rehabilitation only. So no on field work phase two, May 17th to the 21st. So a very short phase that's your player instruction drills, drills and plays conducted with offensive players lining up from offensive players, a defensive players lining up across from defensive players, each group permitted to align 11 or fewer players across from 11 or fewer players. So There's some major limitations there, but you can do more group work. And then phase three, May 24th through June 18th, teams can conduct a total of 10 days of OTAs, organized team practice activities. No live contact permitted. Please hear me, Seahawks, because you've been busted for that a few times. Seven on seven, nine on seven, and 11 on 11 drills are permitted. But again, no contact. And the Seahawks schedule, as far as when they're going to be doing all these things, Rookie minicamp was supposed to be 13th through the 15th. It's now 14th through the 16th. They moved it back one day. They should be able to get some work on the field. OTA off-season workouts, May 24th, 26th through the 27th, June 1st, and then the 3rd, 4th, 7th through 10th in June as well. And then mandatory minicamp. This is what the Seahawks are expected to report for. Tyler Lockett was on KJR today and said that Veterans have agreed they are going to go to mandatory mini camp on the 15th through the 17th. They're just not expected to go to any of the other workouts before that. And maybe that's what ends up coming out of this, Nick, is that in the end, teams are going to hold three or four-day mini camps in June, and that's going to be your off-season program at the facility. I mean, they'll offer strength and conditioning and stuff, but it might end up being that condensed and the players will be okay with it it still gives them a chance to get on the field and then maybe you could still have rookie mini camps and some other things for the young players that are coming in yeah and if i'm a,
1: if i'm the uh, commissioner of the NFL i think that this is something that I, w- I would absolutely consider is you don't need all this all these little dates and all all these you know trickling out through through the entire offseason i know the NFL is kind of obsessed with always being in your view um during the off season on your calendar if you're a hardcore NFL fan which is fine and you know as a baseball fan myself you know baseball kind of just disappears after the world series until spring training so i'm kind of used to that um and and i know football's a bit of a different animal with playbooks and, and you got to get your body right to get hits and and um you know you can get you can you can learn a lot in the, in a few in a few days and you can bring in some veterans to to try out and i think that if you can get the veterans to agree on on a few you know a weekend um to get together and and have a mini camp, and also the rookies maybe a bit more of an extended program, and then just report to to fall camp or the training camp later on in the preseason. I think I don't think they really need to I think they're overthinking this. They have in the past, where you know, I think this is probably too much. and I think you know much like a lot in the pandemic, we, we're realizing we can cut out a lot of the fat in our lives. Um, a lot of it is important and and we're I think we're realizing what is truly important in our lives during this pandemic, which is a blessing in, in disguise here. And I think that's, that's all across the board. So I think the NFL would do what it would behoove them to really take a step back and see what is truly valuable in the offseason. And I think that they can really take a strainer and really, you know, shake out
0: the the loose pebbles and, and see what really is valuable. And Pete Carroll would side with the idea, I think of having, three to five days worth of mandatory work and then otherwise make things virtual. I think he would be okay with that because they were able to accomplish a lot using zoom last year. You can coach playbooks. They can do all kinds of stuff with that. And so I don't think it's what he wants to do exclusively. And he does want to get rookies and young guys and your fringe veterans that want to come, come work out and participate in drills and stuff. Yeah, they would love to do that, but I do expect we're going to see some major changes moving forward, and maybe we'll experiment with some of that stuff this offseason. It's certainly a fluid situation, but for now, the Seahawks have their mini camp scheduled for rookies. They've got OTA set up for whoever wants to come out if they actually do anything. Maybe it'll just be rookie OTAs. We don't know how that's going to work yet. And of course, their mandatory mini camp. And so, all that set. Right now, all of it's uh, subject to change. We'll just have to wait and see what happens as the offseason continues to progress and we see what happens with this pandemic. When we return the second quarter, we're going to continue looking at the Seahawks depth chart after the draft. Yesterday, I looked at defensive tackles. Nick and I are going to go to the offensive side of the trenches and look at centers today. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including Major League Baseball, the NBA, NHL, and all of the UFC MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Hey, Seahawk fans, listen up. Nugenics, the number one selling free testosterone booster at GNC, is offering a complimentary bottle to all football fans in America. To get your complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total Tea, text DRAFT to 231231. This unique man-boosting formula is powered by Testafin, which helps boost free testosterone and total testosterone levels and increase energy and lean muscle mass. Nugenics Total Tea is a great way to increase lean muscle and feel stronger with more energy and endurance and like the TV ads say, she'll like it too. Plus, text now and they'll include a bottle of Nugenix Thermo, their most powerful fat incinerator ever, with key ingredients to help get you back in shape absolutely free. Text draft to 231231. That's draft to 231231. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined by Nick Lee, continuing. Our position-by-position post-draft depth chart review, we're going to swing to the offensive line. Yesterday, I looked at defensive tackles to kick off the series, and now we're going to look at another position that a little bit different situation this offseason. Defensive tackle, the Seahawks lost Jaron Reed. They released him, so you're a longtime starter, no longer in Seattle. He's in Kansas City. Everybody was expecting the Seahawks to make some significant moves at center. And yet here we are now after the draft, they did not use any of their draft picks on centers, which surprised a lot of people. Ethan Posick is cemented into the lineup as a starter. Kyle Fuller's behind him after signing his exclusive rights tender. They've got Brad Lundblade and undrafted rookie Pierre-Olivier Lestage coming from the University of Montreal. So they didn't make any splashes in free agency, Nick. No draft picks coming in. One undrafted player. For the most part, this position was untouched. Very surprising. I, I was pretty
1: darn shocked that they didn't at least address it with, you know, a guy that's like, Oh yeah, you know, he could play center, he's pretty versatile and, and maybe we'll slide him in there and, and you know, guy a, a college guy that that uh, could play all three interior spots like yeah, back. I would have probably even taken that. Um but no, they they stood Pat and in fact, comments afterwards by the leadership of the Seahawks kind of suggests that they are really excited to bring Ethan Posick back to have him compete and they did use the word, you know, battle, you know, as far as between Ethan Posick and Kyle Fuller. Um, for the the starting the number one center spot, I'm not sure how much comfort that brings me, and I'm not gonna, again. I said, like I said, I think either last week or the week before, I'm not going to call that Ethan Posick was a liability at center last year. He at times he was very serviceable. He filled in great. Um, in the absence of Justin Britt when he went down with an injury and eventually was cut. Um, but I really thought the Seahawks had an opportunity to upgrade, and they they did. They they passed up several opportunities to upgrade at the position in free agency and in the draft. And that speaks to me, the confidence that they have in Ethan Posick, um, however misplaced it could be, um, or maybe perhaps how highly they think of Kyle Fuller and able to push Ethan Posick um, in, in for that number one center spot. But um, yeah, it seems like the, the Seahawks coaching staff in brass um, has much more rosy glasses
0: on in uh, regards to the center position than the rest of us and I think a lot of people look back at the way Posing played in that playoff game and I think that's where a lot of the distaste for having him come back as a starter for a second season spawned from because that playoff game he really struggled but let's be honest the Seahawks were not going to draft a center that was going to suddenly be able to neutralize Aaron Donald like that's not going to happen And you had that mismatch. And obviously Donald got hurt late in the game. And the Rams have other good linemen in the middle. So it just was an ugly performance for Seattle's line in general. But, you know, it's weird because I was surprised they didn't pick a center. But then after the fact, I looked at some stats on pro football focus. And to me, they weren't subjective ones, or at least not ones that were super subjective. I don't look at their actual grades and always be like, that's the Messiah. But what I do like to look at are things like, pressure rate and they have something called a true pressure percentage which is based on eliminating screens plays with three or less rushers they eliminate a number of plays where offensive linemen shouldn't have to worry about giving up pressures and they look at those other plays to figure out you know how what's the percentage of the time they're giving up pressures and Postick I believe I have to double check on this but I believe he finished ninth out of 30 qualified centers in that percentage and so he is a top third center in that regard in those type of situations. And so maybe the Seahawks are looking at some of this data and, and they're thinking, you know what? That is not an area that we need to invest with only three picks. We don't need to invest in another guy. We can skate by another season with Ethan Posick and it's going to be a second year as a starter. And he could take a big leap in that second year at his natural position. If he does that, then the Seahawks look like geniuses. They were able to use their draft capital at other positions now obviously they could rue the day as well if this ends up backfiring on them and Ethan Posick struggles or Kyle Fuller somehow beats him out and then Kyle Fuller struggles in the lineup. I mean there's a number of ways that things could play out but they didn't bring in somebody else that could really push Ethan Posick and so If it doesn't work out, it could be something that ends up derailing things on that offensive line. But you look at the depth chart overall, uh, to me, I know Carroll used the word battle. He's always going to talk about competition, but it would be a huge upset if anybody not named Ethan Posick is starting at center from this group on day one, including Kyle Fuller. But I think Fuller's probably your backup guy. Brad Lundblade was on the practice squad some last year. I think he's a guy that'll be at training camp, and that's it. He's a camp body. Their undrafted rookie, Pierre-Olivier Lestage, from the University of Montreal, I'm intrigued by the All-22 film that I've seen. He plays with some nastiness. He looks like he's fleet of foot for a man of his size. And he was an East-West Shrine game invite from Canada. So this guy, I think if COVID doesn't hit, and he is able to play. He's able to play some games last year. He might have been drafted in the middle rounds. He has that kind of ability, but he didn't get a chance to build on his draft stock this season. And so he was one of those players that was dramatically impacted by the pandemic. So I am curious to see what he looks like, but I'm not going to go out on a limb and be like, you know what? let stage can beat out post for the job as an undrafted rookie. I'm not going to go that far, but I would not be surprised if he at least pushes Kyle Fuller, for that backup job based on what I've seen on film. Yeah, he is.
1: I think we throw around the word intriguing too much. He's intriguing. He absolutely is. He helped the Carabins of the university of Montreal win the Dunsmore cup. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> for, for you non Canucks that, that might, that might sound strange or not when I know what's going on, but, um, Montreal ran a pretty physical run game and he was at the, the spearhead of that. So absolutely. I think that, this year especially with with how things have gone with covid and the lack of you heard it all draft long you know we don't know a ton about these guys because they don't especially the smaller schools and you know, international that they, they just didn't get a lot of tape out there and tur- these guys could be studs I mean it's it's hard to know so why not take a flyer on a guy like the stage I think that that's a, an excellent idea and shoot if, if he does turn out to be like you said a, a type of middle round, a caliber center. I'm not sure how much worse that is than Ethan Posick. Um, so we'll, we'll see. I, I think that's going to be one of the battles. And I, I, I've never, ever admitted out loud that I'm interested in a backup center battle, <laughs> but I think I am now.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you. When I look at training camp, that's going to be one of the positional groups that I circle, even though I, I think Ethan Posick is your starter. I think Kyle Fuller against Lestage has a chance to be intriguing because with stage is a guy that those players that are coming from small schools, especially when you've been playing in Canada, we know the level of competition is far inferior from even your FCS schools and FBS schools. And so you just don't know, is that player going to be able to translate the skills that we're seeing on his all 22 film against other Canadian colleges? Is he going to be able to translate that playing against NFL players? We won't know until we see him on the field And if we would have gotten to see him in the shrine game or something, then we would maybe have a better idea, but it didn't happen this year. It was virtual. So again, completely in the dark. We don't know what this kid's going to do. If what he showed on film does translate though, sign me up for being very excited about his potential. And maybe he's a guy in a year or two that could end up playing for you on Sundays. And so, again, I agree with you. We use the word intriguing a lot, maybe too much, but it applies in this case. As far as 53-man roster projections, this one's pretty cut and dry, though. I mean, unless the stage does come in and just upstages Kyle Fuller or even Ethan Posick, then we could have ourselves a very surprising situation developing. But I just don't see it. I, I think at least for this year, Ethan Posick and Kyle Fuller are going to be the two guys that are going to be the centers on the roster, and of course, Damian Lewis can provide that insurance option as he showed last year. If somehow they need to have him play the spot,
1: yeah, bringing up Damian Lewis is a good is a good point. I think that that's something that people forget. He played very admirably um, filling in in that Cardinals game. Yeah, this is certainly a position where everyone's going to ha- be under microscope. This is going to be one that uh, they're going to the, the Seahawks Twitter. And when they were, when they want to find something to be mad about, so they're going to point to the center position if things aren't going well. That's going to be one of the first places they turn if the offense isn't clicking in all cylinders to start the year. Um, for it might not even be the center's fault, but there, it's definitely going to be the scapegoat. This is an easy scapegoat um, opportunity for for those. If, if the Seahawks don't come out firing like they did last year, a lot of a lot of fingers are going
0: to be pointed to the middle of that offensive line. When we come back in the third quarter, it's all about the rookie class. We're going to be looking at draft picks and undrafted rookies, which are going to be especially important considering Seattle had only three draft picks. We're going to dish out some post-draft superlatives, six of them in total. When we return, you're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Are you looking for a way to boost your workout game? Are you seeking a delicious protein bar without the sugar and carbs? Enter in the Built Bar, 18 amazing flavors, including nut and non-nut flavors. Some of the best ones, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, apple almond crisp, peanut butter, double chocolate. You're going to have a tough time eating just one. These bars are covered in 100% chocolate, soft, easy to chew. It's great for the health-conscious guy. Lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, and they're great for a keto diet. Remember to use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. This is your host, Corbin Smith, joined by Nick Lee. The NFL draft is in the books. The Seahawks only making three selections. They started with three. They moved up to four picks and then packaged two of them to move up in the sixth round and select tackle Stone Forsythe out of Florida. John Schneider seemed content walking out of this draft in which they didn't have medicals and a lot of players and the entire process was just muddied because of covid They were content to leave with just three new selections and started cleaning up on free agency undrafted players in the seventh round. We even talked to them in the sixth round for a post-draft press conference. It was very evident they wanted to go into attack mode, take advantage of that seventh round to really recruit players. And as a result, there are some very exciting undrafted rookies the Seahawks have picked up. So, Nick, what we're going to do here, we do this every year. We're going to dish out some post-draft superlatives with this rookie class, and we'll start with the one that's the most basic, the most surprising. Which incoming rookie is going to be the most surprising for the Seattle Seahawks? I'm going to have a bit of a different twist to the most surprising
1: one, and it's more of a situation. I, I was really surprised that Cade Johnson out of South Dakota State was still available as an undrafted free agent. The dude know, just knows how to be a receiver. 28 touchdowns in three years for the for South Dakota State. Um, and I, I in, in the mocks I did, and I know I'm not, I'm no Mel Kuyper. I'm no, you know, I, you know those experts, but I drafted him sometimes in the fourth or fifth round in some of my mocks. And, and I'm shocked. He went undrafted. He had over 1200 yards, eight touchdowns in, in 2019 for, for the Jackrabbits. And I, I just, that's the most, that was a surprising situation to me that all of a sudden I had the Seahawks taking him late in the draft. And here he is as an undrafted free agent. So Um, A really intriguing receiver option, Uh, you know, just he's a good route runner. He might not be the speed burner that Eskridge is, but I think he brings something different to the table that um, that will cause the Seahawks coaching staff to take a long, hard look in his direction during camp.
0: I'm going to go with another undrafted rookie because Kate Johnson would be a surprise to me if he goes out and wins a roster spot because I'm with you. I had a fourth-round grade on him. I could not believe – I guess I just assumed he got drafted because I was doing stuff covering the players the Seahawks picked, and then I looked at him like, um, he is still on the board at the end of the seventh round? What is going on here? And so I wouldn't be surprised if he comes in and lights it up. I'm going to go with Jared Hewitt, though, the defensive tackle out of Virginia Tech. He's an undrafted rookie that's not getting a lot of buzz right now. I don't think most fans know anything about him, but the ACC has been a much improved conference over the last five or six years. I would make an argument it's probably the second best conference behind the SEC in terms of putting championship caliber teams. We know what Clemson's done, but there's some other really good programs that have gotten better in the last four or five years. Jared Hewitt had nine and a half sacks the last two years as a 290-pound three-tech That is right in the wheelhouse what Seattle loves size-wise, and obviously they need another player that can help fill in for Jaron Reed's departure. I don't know if he pushes for a roster spot right away, but I think Hewitt has got a chance to come in and potentially win a reserve role because they don't have a true replacement right now For Jaron Reed. Maybe Jared Hewitt in a year or two is able to become that guy. So I think he's somebody that's going to turn some heads when training camp gets here. I just think he fits the profile of the type of three techs the Seahawks like to bring in. Let's go to the next one here. Most pressure to reach ceiling. This one usually is a little more interesting because there's more draft picks to choose from, but there's certainly still a few players that are going to have high expectations coming into their NFL careers.
1: Yeah, th- this one's a bit weird because you, you wouldn't necessarily put a name of an undrafted guy here because there there isn't a ton of pressure on those undrafted guys to, to immediately come in and produce. And I'm not also going to go Dwayne Eskridge because there are two guys named Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf carrying most of the load for the receivers. So if Dwayne Eskridge doesn't reach his ceiling, it's not going to totally throw the Seahawks season off the rails. Um, I'm going to go Trey Brown, cornerback out of Oklahoma. Um, the, the Seahawks corner situation is far from resolved. He's, he's undersized, which has been well-documented and it's very fascinating to see, um, perhaps a change in philosophy or at least a, 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 an adaptation or evolution by this coaching staff to take guys like him. Maybe DJ Reed helped them push back in that direction. Um, there were plenty of the typical Seahawks lengthy daddy long leg corners still on the board when they took Trey Brown. In fact, when that pick came, I'm like, okay, I think it's going to be a cornerback, and I listed three, four, five guys, and Trey Brown was not on there because I, I just didn't, I didn't think he fit their fit their uh, physical traits. But um, I think the Seahawks are going to have to hope that he proves valuable. Um, so that that is where the pressure is coming from is that he was a, a corner that that comes in typically undersized for a Seahawks cornerback and absolutely has a chance to grab a week one starting spot. And uh, he, he's going to have to produce, especially as if if the corners that were taken after him uh, start trickling into the NFL and, and getting playing time. I'm going to go with
0: the sixth rounder for this one because it's weird saying there's pressure on a sixth round pick to reach his ceiling, but all these things are relative based on situation. And Dwayne Brown's going to be 36 in August. Brandon Shell is a free agent after this year. Brown is a free agent after this year. They don't really have anyone else on the roster that is poised to become the heir apparent for Dwayne Brown. Stone Forsyth is that guy, and so there is a lot of pressure on the Seahawks to develop this kid this season and prepare him to at least start at right tackle in 2022, if not on the left side. We don't know what the future holds with Dwayne Brown. I think Brown's got two or three good seasons left in it, but We don't know how the Seahawks are going to approach that with him aging. They might decide we're going to be ready to move forward with Stone Forsythe, and that is a lot of pressure that you're going to have to deal with trying to replace a two-time all-pro and one of the best tackles of his era in Dwayne Brown. So I think there is going to be a lot of pressure on him to step in at some point and fill those shoes. That pressure is eventually going to be there for him to be a quality starter at left tackle let's go to our next one here most likely to start right away you might have given it away in your last response but which rookie do you think has the best chance to play and start right away in week one for the Seahawks you're right I
1: did give it away it is Trey Brown for me Um, he just really needs to beat out one of Trey Flowers a weatherspoon or or DJ Reed and and we all know that well we, we know what Trey Flowers is and what he isn't he's not a ball hawk He's got issues in coverage, sometimes lapses in coverage. He's got all the physical traits you'd want, but hasn't quite put it together. I don't know if it's between the ears or what. Um, I think Brown, I actually am predicting that Brown beats him out and and has a legit chance to be uh, a starting cornerback in, in week one. And if not week one, really, really soon. I think that he's going to impress in camp. I think that I'm trusting that since the, the Seahawks went away from they're kind of physical check check boxes with him that they saw other things they really liked that they can work with that he that he can you know bring out and um, and produce right away for this secondary. And so it's almost like they're gonna need him to be one of the ones that start right away. And, and you know, Dwayne Eskridge, I don't know if you want to call him a start. I think he'll definitely get looks um, but I don't know but I don't know if I should throw with the word start around and especially with we don't quite know what the offense will truly look like. But Trey Brown I think has a legit shot to be one of the two cornerbacks or three
0: cornerbacks on the field week one. And I'm going to go with Eskridge because I think I know what the offense is going to look like. And I expect a lot of three receiver sets with 11 personnel, one tight end and one running back, a lot more under center looks. And I expect Dwayne Eskridge is going to get a lot of run both in the slot and on the outside. I think he and Lockett are going to be doing interchanging where they're on the outside sometimes or in the slot sometimes sometimes. And so I think he is going to start a bunch of games as a rookie, being that number three guy, because they're going to be in three receiver sets a lot. They're going to run with more pace too. So he's not going to be able to sub out. And so I anticipate quite a few snaps for Eskridge. And I think he's going to be a starter because of the type of offensive scheme they're now going to have where you might not see quite as much 12 personnel. And we'll see quite a bit of two tight end sets, but I, I think the three, receiver sets 11 personnel with three receivers I think is what we're going to see a lot and I anticipate that Dwayne Eskridge is going to get starts at least on the stat sheet even if his overall snaps don't reflect him being a guy that's playing a ton I think he's going to get starts most likely to make a pro bowl this one is really challenging because the Seahawks don't have a first round pick and only had one pick in the first three rounds but as we know Nick the Seahawks have had several pro bowlers in this era that have come from day three selections
1: Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to go, I I must be the, the, the chairman of the Trey Brown fan club. I I guess I didn't know that till just now, (laughs) but I'm going to go Trey Brown. Um, And not, you know, it's a lot to do with the fact that they don't have a ton else. (laughs) And also because I I do think that the, the coaching staff sees something in him that they really like, and he's got some of that LOB edginess to him. I think I really like Um, he'll be put, well, what's important about you know making the Pro Bowl, he'll be put in the best position to succeed and put up the necessary numbers to be a Pro Bowler. While Eskridge might play very well and work out as, as a re- as a receiver and you know be a perfect part of this offense, you know there there are two pretty big beasts ahead of him, and as far as the depth chart and getting targets that he's not getting, so you don't see too many true you know wide receiver th- third wide receivers on a roster make the pro bowl so i think he'll just be a victim of circumstance i'm not I- i'm not going to say he's not capable of making the pro bowl i think just trey brown will go into a different situ- a better situation that will put him on a pedestal in order to, put him on in a situation to earn a pro bowl bid more so than eskridge
0: And I picked Trey Brown because two reasons. One, I trust Pete Carroll's coaching staff to get the most out of him because they've been so good at developing corners over the years. And the other thing is the dude played against the best receivers in college football throughout his career and never gave up more than 70 yards in coverage in a game. I just have a feeling that he is going to be a player that whenever the time comes that he's on the field, that he's going to be very productive for them and with the coaching he's going to develop. And so to me, he's the one that's got the best chance based on the position he's playing. And what we've seen on his college tape, and I like it that you mentioned the players around him too, he's just got a better chance to be featured than what a guy like Dwayne Eskridge does. Now let's talk best value. When you've got all the undrafted free agent signings that have been reported, there's going to be a lot of fun ones to consider here. But for me, it's got to be Kate Johnson, just going back to the argument that He was supposed to be, at least in my eyes, an early day three selection, and yet he wasn't picked. And I think it's a heist for the Seahawks to be able to get him as an undrafted free agent because, honestly, I had him one tier below Dwayne Eskridge, the guys that I looked at his second and third round picks. He was one tier below that. He's not the athlete, but he's such a crafty route runner, and he's really good inside the 20-yard line as a red zone threat. He can create after the catch some. He's got special teams value. So clearly to me, he's head and shoulders above everybody else in terms of value because I think he's got potential starter capabilities, and yet he didn't get drafted, and he's probably at best going to be your number four receiver in this offense. I think he's got a chance to really push Freddie Swain, and so I'm going to go with Cade Johnson here.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna go there too. Um, you know, since he was my most surprising that he was still there um as an undrafted guy. I mean, that, that's the definition of valuable. So yeah, K. Johnson, he absolutely can can push Freddie Swain. Absolutely has a chance to make the 53 man roster.
0: Let's go to our last one here biggest wild card. And I mentioned Pierre Olivier Lestage was the wild card of the center position. I thought about using him for this one, but I have to mention a running back at some point here because I'm a running back guy. And we just had Josh Johnson on the show yesterday. And I believe in Josh Johnson. I'm, you know, I'm saying this for DJ Dallas and Travis Homer and Alex Collins. You better be ready. You better bring your A game in training camp or Josh Johnson, who ran for over 1200 yards two years ago and had 11 touchdowns for Louisiana Monroe you better believe that this kid is going to come in ready to take one of your jobs. And so he is my wild card from this group. I know it's weird saying that with the depth they have at running back, but there's a reason the Seahawks scooped him up as quickly as they did. He fits the size profile. He runs well between the tackles, underrated explosiveness and speed. And he's just got a really good head on his shoulders. He is going to be ready to compete. He's eager to compete. So, I'm going with Johnson here. I think he's got a really good chance to potentially knock one of those incoming uh, remaining running backs out of the depth chart and off the team. When I go biggest wild card, I'm thinking a lot
1: more of like they could be a total bus cut within a few weeks of camp or they just mess around and make the 53-man roster. <laughs> um, and for me, that's Jared Hewitt. You already mentioned him. Could be a total bus, could be a you know DeMarcus Christmas type, or he could be the heir apparent to Jaron Reed. <laughs> I mean that that's really the the spectrum I think of Jared Hewitts. Um, he he could be an afterthought, a, a camp guy that, that doesn't that you, you read maybe a sentence about during preseason and you never hear from him again. Or you could be he could be a guy that comes into camp and clearly is pushing for a roster spot. Um, he just has that the athletic and the athletic traits. And you mentioned the ACC. Nine and a half sacks the last two years for Virginia Tech, and if if he can get show athletic traits, get into the quarterback from the three tech position, I think the Seahawks are still looking for that. Um, since the departure of Jaron Reed, and if Jared Hewitt can can provide that, and and I I agree that maybe not right away, maybe not week one, but down the line, you know, with some attrition, some injuries, some underperformance, um, Jared Hewitt, I think is is one that could get a look. If he comes to to camp with his head on straight and ready to work, and uh, and performs like a, I think he's capable,
0: you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Nick at Nick Lee fifty one. Follow Locked On Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and the all new Odyssey app. That's A U D A C Y. Coming up on Monday, we've got a special guest lined up to introduce to the twelves. Plus, Rob Rang and I will continue breaking down position groups by swinging to the safety spot enjoy your weekend thanks for listening go Hawks